Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Day Beautiful podcast feed. My name is Adam. I am the founder of Day Beautiful, the website and podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out Day Beautiful on daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And welcome to yet another First Taste reading series where I invite an author to read five minutes from their work to kickstart your week off with great literature and put you in a really good mood. Today's guest was born in China and currently is a professor of English and creative writing at Arkansas Tech University. His short story collection, Further News of Defeat, won the 2021 Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize for debut short story collection and was a finalist for the 2021 CLMP Firecracker Award for Fiction. I'm, of course, talking about Michael X. Wong. Hey, Michael. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I am very excited. Um, by the time this podcast is out, uh, Lost in the Long March, your debut novel will be out. Um, but previously, you have written a story collection called Further News of Defeat. Um, and before we get started, I just want to ask, like, what's the difference between writing a short story collection and writing a novel? Did Was it easy for you or was it completely <laughs> se- two separate things? It was, uh, it was really hard, the transition yeah. from writing short stories to writing a novel. Uh, writing a short story, um, even if you've kind of failed that short story, you've kind of failed um, for like a week or maybe a couple of weeks, right? And it's not such a big deal, but um, you can easily take kind of long, wrong turns when you're writing a novel. And sometimes those wrong turns cost two, three, four months, half a year, uh, maybe mm-hmm. even longer. Although um, a colleague of mine, ta- a colleague of mine, she she tells me that. Um, before you get to writing the right way, you need to go through those kind of wrong avenues. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes for writers, that can be very intimidating, mm-hmm. right? Like like just this kind of knowledge that that you are going to go on the wrong path when you write a novel. I think that's, that's true for almost every novel that has ever been published. Just um, um, there's, you know, every novelist that I've talked to, um, you know, for a 300 page novel, they've written at least 500, 600 pages for it. Mm. Um, so that kind of this working under the assumption that things are going to go wrong, um, that, that took a while for me to get used to. Um, I have a couple of kind of novels that were very much not so good, very much failures before, um, before working on Lost in the Long March. And can you tell readers what this book is about? Okay, so Lost in the Long March, it is about the Chinese Communist Revolution. It um, takes place roughly from 1934, so uh, like seven years after the start of the Chinese Communist kind of revolution party. Um, And it spans uh, until the beginning or the middle of World War II in 1943, uh, and then it ends um, one year after the death of Chairman Mao in 1978. So basically, um, it, it follows these three soldiers, and two of these soldiers, they fall in love, and they have a son while on the long march. Um, kind of very similar to the way that, you know, um, dictator Mao and some of many soldiers, they kind of fell in love because it's like a year and a half kind of march. And um, even even Mao had to abandon um, his daughter while on the march. So this is the case for um, these two soldiers. They've you know they they leave them with um, 
uh, uh, these kind of hill tribes in Sichuan, in Sichuan, and with the idea that they'll return after the revolution has won um, in a couple of years. Um, but what happens is they don't return for uh, a very long time. You know, after World War II, there's the, the, the revolution continues for four more years. And um, so they have no opportunity to search for their son until, you know, the 1950s. And when they do, it's, it's much too late. Um, the, this, the novel changes point, points of views um, in the first, well, in all five parts. And um, in part four, we kind of, we kind of gather, um, we briefly um, touch upon the point of view of the son and his journey um, before we kind of return to 1978 China and we follow um, the two soldiers and whether or not they end up reuniting with their lo long lost son. So that's kind of the gist of the novel. Yeah, so and, and because it changes point of view and, and different, um, different parts of the story, what, what will you be reading for us today? I will be reading for us um, a part in the middle uh, called um, The Fable of the Footless Men. And um, it's kind of like a self-enclosed kind of part. Um, uh, it, it kind of follows this um, old fable in, in China that I think um, strangely speaks to um, the national identity of the historical national identity of Chinese history over the last couple of centuries, maybe over the last um, thousand years or so. So this is called Fable of the Footless Man. All right, we'll take it away. Thank you. Thank you. Thousands of years ago, before the time of emperors, China was divided into many nations and city-states. The wealthy curried favor from local kings by offering gifts. Nobles gave a portion of their harvest. Intellectuals supplied the bounty of military advice or worldly philosophy. Those with neither land nor education had one remaining way to gain favor, possessing something the king personally desired. There were stories of how a blacksmith became a general after he had forged the king's sharpest blade, of how a cowherd became a magistrate after the king had wed his daughter, of how a weaver became a landowner after he had sewed the king's finest gown. Such was the ambition of a lucky jade miner from Hubei. He had spent decades in the quarries without finding anything substantial, and then on his 44th birthday, he struck a prize so large and so fine that only a king could afford it. He, he shaped it into a lustrous cabbage, smoothing it until the leaves bloomed symmetrically on all sides. Holding it up to the sun, he felt pride when his work lit up like a lantern. It was rumored that, because of its purity, the jade cabbage could capture the light and glow even at night. Confident in its worth, the miner took his prize to the king of Zhou, the most powerful king in the land. He laid the piece at the foot of the throne, his head bowed into the king's advisor, finished examining it. The advisor, a sycophant easy, easily moved to jealousy, held the jade cabbage between his long flowing sleeves and worried that such an awe-inspiring object might elevate the miner to a position above even his own. Nothing but a chunk of limestone, he yelled up to the king, who was sitting half asleep behind a silken veil, dressed up to look like treasure. The thing is worthless. Fine, fine, the majesty of the king called down. Get the man out of my sight. Your majesty, the, mi the, the miner pleaded, ask any reputable jeweler. They will confirm the authenticity 
I come bearing this gift as your honest servant. Why would I? Might I suggest a punishment? The advisor grinned at the miner, one fit for a liar. Fine, fine, the king called down. Chop off his right foot so he will be slower and lie to less people. And thus the miner lost one of his feet. On crutches, though still confident of the worth of his work, he took his prize to the king of Zheng, the second most powerful king. Again, he laid the piece at the foot of the throne, his head bowed until the jade was examined. This time, the king himself picked up the object, and though he liked its shape, its craftsmanship, he was worried about its origins. I have heard another jade cabbage had come before the king of Zhou. Is this the same one? He asked the miner. The miner nodded. The king of Joe does not have as keen an eye as you do, my lord. He is not worthy of my prize. I heard a different story. I heard that he rejected the piece because it was nothing more than limestone. The king threw the jade cabbage into the miner's lap. You bring me a gift that my rival has rejected. Are you suggesting that I should accept it because I am lesser than him, that the kingdom of Zheng is second to Zhou? If the object is as magnificent as you say it is, why not bring it to me first? Sire, the miner pleaded, I meant no disrespect. Guards, the king called down, get this man out of my sight. Chop off his other foot so that he knows the meaning of loyalty. And thus the miner lost his other foot. With both feet gone, the miner became a beggar. Years later, on the streets of his hometown, a wandering laborer approached the miner who had become a beggar. The laborer glanced at the coins in the shape of knives on the ground, and then at the jade cabbage in the miner's arm. By this point, the, mine, the beggar had become an old man. His hair was white, he had grown a gray beard, and his legs were covered with a brown cloth. What makes your life so pathetic that I should give you my hard-earned money? The laborer asked the beggar. The beggar uncovered his right leg and showed his missing foot. I tried giving this jade cabbage to the king of Joe. He refused it and chopped off my right foot. So? The laborer wasn't impressed. Many people have lost their right foot. What makes you so special? The beggar uncovered his other leg and showed that both his feet were missing. Then I tried giving this jade cabbage to the king of Zheng. He refused it as well and chopped off my other foot. So, again, the worker, the laborer wasn't impressed. Many people have lost both their feet. I ask a second time, why should I mourn with, for someone with missing feet? The beggar shook his head. You misunderstand me. I mourn not for my missing feet. I mourn because no one will accept the strayed cabbage, my life's work. So. Thank you, Michael, so much for reading that. Um, earlier you mentioned the difficulty between, or the, how, the, how difficult the transition from writing short stories to a novel was. Um, are you currently still writing short stories? Do you envision yourself only writing long form novel length prose? I'm uh, currently finishing up my uh, second novel. It's called The Red Synthetic Utopia of the Mind. It's kind of this uh, trippy novel that um, combines like video game culture with um, an immigration story and uh, just the origins of consciousness and artificial intelligence. 
Um, so the main character, her name is Harriet Chu, and she is like this uh, video game prodigy, and she comes to um, the United States to kind of test with a with a experimental AI. So I'm I'm about um, I think I'm I'm about twenty or thirty pages done from from a draft mm -hmm. so still maybe a ways to go but um i, I I'm, I'm close to being done um i do have many kind of story ideas in my mind that's kind of brewing so i i think after i write this novel i i would love to return and get some of those ideas on the page uh and um at least get them on the page um get like a draft on the page so that um if i do work on a third novel which i've also kind of drafted and planned um, and I know I'm going to get stuck <laughs> because I always do. I mean, I, I think most writers do. They, mm -hmm. they always get stuck um, in terms of writing a longer work. When I get stuck, maybe I can go back and revise and, and work on those, um, you know, brief drafts of the stories that mm -hmm. I've created. Uh, yeah. So that's hopefully, you know, my, my process going forward if I stick to it. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. So it, it sounds like you're not the type of writer who can be or is working at least on short and long form it's kind of one or the other at any given time yeah i mean i think uh I, I, it's you know writing a novel it's kind of a marathon mm -hmm. so it's um i there's gonna be times when you're just exhausted when um you're gonna hate your idea you're gonna second third fourth guess it and uh but you know those times i i, I think there's one or two ways of going about it you know you can either just plow through it and be miserable <laughs> during those times. Um, or you can take a, take a short break, take a couple of weeks, a um, couple of days, depending on the author, work on something else, do a lot of reading. And then uh, when you come back to it, uh, you'll feel a little bit more refreshed. You'll feel better. You'll see um, what you've written before with a new set of eyes. Maybe it's working. Maybe it's not so bad as you thought it was. Maybe it was so bad as you thought it was, and you need to start over and rewrite that section. So um, it's different for every novelist slash short story writer, but uh, that, that's how I do it, you know, mm -hmm. more or less. I want to thank Michael X. Wong for joining the Day Beautiful podcast First Taste Reading Series. You can find him on his website at michaelxwong.com. You can find us at daybeautiful.net, and we're on all social media at daybeautiful. As always, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.